Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to First Peter. Chapter 3, I'm reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 18, as we are in our second uh, Sunday on our series that we've called Gentle, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. And as we open the Scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us your word of truth and of life and of grace. Lord, that we can not only know life, but share life with those around us in the name of Jesus. Amen. First Peter 3 at verse 8, hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Amen. Gentle, the appealing quality. See, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It is a fruit, so it has an appealing quality. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Appealing, appealing. Get it? Yes, we get it, Pastor. Yep. By, by the way, the debate still rages on the cantaloupe, on the great cantaloupe controversy, fruit or vegetable. I got a lot of good notices on that this week. And uh, one, one friend said it has a rind, an outer sort of peel, and the seeds are in the center. So it is a fruit. To which one of my staff members said, well, then what is a strawberry? The seeds are on the outside. You see, so the debate still rages. I mean, it's just, it's just raging, the cantaloupe country. So fruit, okay, let's get back on track. Fruit has an appealing quality. Fruit is sweet. Fruit is 
attractive. I was watching a show about Yellowstone National Park, and the narrator was talking about a certain colorful berry that grows there, and a bear came along and ate a bunch of these berries, and the narrator said, but this was not the attention the berry was longing for. <laughs> I thought, what? And then along came a bird, and a bird ate the berries, and, and this bird was apparently famous for taking the seeds of the berry and distributing them far and wide. And the narrator leans in and says, now this is what the berry really wants, <laughs> to spread its seed and propagate its kind, which I thought was, that's a little much, isn't it? <laughs> Does a berry really want anything? Can a berry feel satisfaction at fulfilling its purpose in life, you know, uh, being eaten and distributed <laughs> by bird droppings? <laughs> Is this really the fulfillment of angst? But in the absence of the explanatory power of a creator designing all of this, I guess that's all they could say. The berry has deep existential longings. See, it's long up to be fulfilled as a berry. Well, anyway, it's instructive. It's instructive. Uh, fruit has an attractive quality. Things want to be around it. They want to eat it. They, they, want to, they want to taste of it. It's appealing. It's attractive so that its seeds can be distributed. Well, spiritual fruit, spiritual fruit is attractive. Spiritual fruit is is sweet. Spiritual fruit stands out. Everything else is sort of bland, but here it is, something very special. And people want to, to taste of it. They want to take of it. They want to participate in it. And, and it's, there's a reason behind that. It's so that spiritual fruit can be distributed. It may just be something that Jesus intends to use to spread life. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is... Let's just say these nine together. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And isn't that last phrase a remarkable claim? Against these things, you don't ever have to worry about breaking the law. You don't have to worry about leaning over into some other jurisdiction where suddenly peace and, and self-control are illegal. You know, nowhere, at no time, in no culture, in no place, ever is there a law against these things or will there ever be. Isn't that remarkable? I just think that's profound. And gentleness is the one that we forget. It's the one we run by. You've heard of the forbidden fruit. This is the forgotten fruit. And someone who truly attends to gentleness will stand out in this world. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength. And to take that one step further this week, gentleness is strength put into the service of others. Gentleness will reflect the light of Jesus. And it is something God is using in you to spread and to distribute the light of Christ. Gentleness is strength put into the service of others. I tend to think of, in my own life, I think of my two grandfathers here. 
my son Jack is actually named John Parker. He's named after my mom's dad, John Parker. And John Parker had a law degree and was a lawyer, but he spent his career in the FBI. And uh, in the FBI, there were many times that he left the family for weeks at a time to go and do his work in undisclosed locations and secret environments. And, and he was a, a fairly uh, tough guy. He always sat with his back to the wall in a restaurant, and he was always armed. And he needed to be. He was a tough guy. But I remember sitting with him on a little small stool in his garden as together we gently pulled green beans off of the vines. See, he was strong. But with me, he was gentle. My dad's dad is, uh, was Commander R.M. McConnell, graduate of the famous accelerated class of the Naval Academy during World War II. He was an ensign on the aircraft carrier USS Hornet, when the Hornet was sunk by kamikazes in the Battle of Santa Cruz in 1942, he had to jump into the water and swim across the, the shark-infested waters to a nearby battleship with only a, a pocket knife tucked into his underwear. You know, that's a pretty tough guy. He was a career naval aviator, a bomber in Korea, and a flight instructor. A tough guy. But I remember how he dried my hair with a warm towel when I got out of his pool in Jacksonville. <laughs> with me, he was gentle. Gentle isn't weak. Gentleness is strength put into the loving service of others, you see. So we're grateful for all of our veterans and their family members today who risked their well-being to put their strength in the loving service of others. Amen. The question before us today, then, is regarding the point of intersection, the boundary where faith and, and doubt meet, or where faith in Christ meets unbelief, meets non-faith, or the unbeliever, where the Christian world is at a boundary with the non-Christian world. Does gentleness apply here, at that boundary, at that at that demilitarized zone between the Christian arena and the worldly arena? What if that boundary is marked with hostility? What if it appears that the non-Christian society holds ill will or anger toward the Christian community? Does gentleness still apply? This is an area that we might call evangelism or apologetics. Evangelism is our ability to explain the good news of what God has done through His Son Jesus to restore and save us from sin and eternal death. That's evangelism. You, you may have heard this, of this term before. You may have been trained in this. Our ability to explain the good news of what God has done in His Son Jesus to save us. There's another term that lives at the same boundary that we call apologetics. Now, what is apologetics? Apologetics is our ability to remove obstacles of doubt and allow a sincere inquirer to step toward faith in Christ with confidence and joy. 
See, can we, can we explain the good news of what Christ has done? But also, can, can I possibly remove from your path obstacles of doubt and disbelief so that you can participate joyfully and confidently in faith in Jesus Christ? That's, that's apologetics. As Peter himself put it, verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer and give an answer is where we get the word apologetics from that phrase. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. There's our word again, gentleness. The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard's last book was actually, actually put together by his daughter after he passed away. He had been working on this book but then he got sick and couldn't finish it. So his daughter kept the notes and all the work, and then she compiled extra material from lectures and, and interviews and published her father's final book. It's called The Allure of Gentleness, Defending the Faith in the Manner of Jesus. See, Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy for 45 years at the University of Southern California as a committed Christian, a committed Christian in the philosophy department at the University of Southern California. So he knew, he knew just a little bit about the friction at the intersection of Christianity and contemporary culture. And he said, we think of apologetics as argument, argument, fighting to defend the Christian faith, like building a case for the defendant in a legal proceeding. And there are a lot of words that you would associate with that sort of activity, but gentleness isn't one of them. Still, that's what Peter said. He said, do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Why? Listen now. Because the only way to reveal Jesus is to act like Jesus. The only way to declare the reality of a loving Savior is to disclose or to put on display how that Savior has changed your life, has made you a different person. How can you declare the good news of a loving Savior without acting like that same loving Savior? So here's what Willard writes. He said, when we do the work of apologetics, giving an answer, we do it as disciples of Jesus, and therefore we are to do it in the manner in which he would do it. So the call to give an answer is first not a call to beat unwilling people into intellectual submission, but to be the servant of those in need often indeed the servant of those who are in the grip of their own intellectual self-righteousness and pride, usually reinforced by their social surroundings. See, see, even when we stand firm in the Christian faith, even when we're to give an answer and a defense, even when we're to build a case for the faith to remove obstacles of doubt, to help someone to participate joyfully in faith, it's not an act of combat and conquest. It is humble service. It's neighbor love marked with gentleness, with an aim to, to free someone 
to release them from the grip of their own self-righteousness and pride, which is often socially reinforced. Do you follow? You see, if, if reality is what we bump into when we get it wrong, and follow, that's another Dallas Willard saying, if reality is what we bump into when we have it wrong, then we have a, uh, an obligation, if we love one another, to, to talk about what's really out there. You see, people say it doesn't matter what you believe so long as it works for you. But friends, the truth is there is an actual reality out there. And reality is what we bump into when we have it wrong. You see, the fact that you don't believe that the coffee table is there just because it's dark and you don't see it, you see, that doesn't make the coffee table any less there. And your toe is about to find out. So, so what kind of a love is it that allows people to wander and bumble in darkness, bumping into reality? Apologetics is a helping ministry. It's, it's helping. Truth-telling about Jesus is a helping ministry, sharing the reality of the existence of God, sharing the reality of the wrath of God and the grace of God. This is a, a helping ministry. It's to be done as a service. And gentleness is strength put into the service of others. Even when we feel that Christianity itself is under attack, Dallas Willard wrote, however firm we may be in our convictions, we do not become overbearing, contemptuous, hostile, or defensive. We know that Jesus himself would not do so because we cannot help people in that way. And that is why our apologetic needs to be characterized by gentleness. Like Jesus, we are reaching out in love, in a humble spirit, with no coercion. The only way to accomplish that is to present our defense gently as help offered in love in the manner of Jesus. This doesn't mean that we abandon the intellect. This doesn't mean that we don't prepare ourselves, that we don't study, that we don't prepare to defend the Christian message and offer thoughtful, reasonable, intelligent answers to the world's questions. But as Dallas Willard says, finally, but it will all be wasted unless the allure of gentleness pervades all that we do. The allure of gentleness. Peter was a tough guy. Peter was a, a fisherman. He was outdoorsy. You know, can you imagine for a minute just staring down and looking at Peter's hands, what they must have looked like? He was a, a tough-nosed businessman. He had many, you know, boats and people who worked for him and contractors and all clients and all that. Peter was a tough, tough guy. And we know when we read the Gospels that Peter was not ashamed to, to speak up. He, he would often speak his mind. Uh, usually even when he was way off course. I mean, he just, he said all that stuff that we are glad someone asked because otherwise we'd be the only ones with the dumb question in the back of our mind. He would jump ahead, you know. Peter was no shrinking violet. His letters, we believe, came from Rome at the end of his life when Paul was also there awaiting trial. 
And the Christians in Rome were increasingly feeling pressure and persecution from the mob and from the government. It wasn't an easy time to be a Christian. And these letters, Peter's letters went out just just a few years before Paul was beheaded and Peter himself was crucified upside down under the hands of the despotic emperor Nero. And these letters are full of encouragement to endure suffering, to stay faithful, to not let fear and anger win the day, but to know that God is going to set all things right in the end. And so Peter is sometimes called the apostle of hope. In the middle of all this, now that in the middle of, of that type of a life, Peter is saying God is going to use the crises and the conflict and the friction to reveal himself in us. Peter taught, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. See, clearly Peter's expecting something to happen. He expects that as we revere Christ in our hearts, as we revere Christ as Lord, as we are affiliated with Christ as Lord over all the other competing lords of the world, as we know Christ as our Lord, and as we give him our hearts, something's going to happen. Something will go on display in a world that is nasty and violent and hopeless. A supernatural hope will go on display in our character because we revere Christ as Lord in our hearts. What's going on in the inside will go on display on the outside. And then people are going to ask, what is the reason? How do you explain? What is the, the logical basis for your hope that is in you? Can you defend for me why you act and feel and, and, and display that kind of hopefulness in a world without hope. Well then, Peter says, be prepared to give an answer. And the words he uses sound like legal terminology. This comes from legal terminology. He says, be prepared to offer a case for the defense. I mean, be prepared to put your argument together, an apologetic defense of your position, a careful and full argument in response, you see. It isn't all, sharing the faith isn't all just good feelings and anecdotes and one day it felt like this. No, there is intellectual work to be done where we're to dive into the scriptures, to dive into Christian belief and to be prepared to give an answer for the reason. But Peter adds, do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Because you can't testify to Jesus without acting like Jesus. You can't testify to Jesus without acting like Jesus. Tim Keller is a Presbyterian pastor who retired this year after, um, I think it's 29 years of ministry in New York City. And as an evangelical Presbyterian pastor, Everyone told him in 1989 that he was crazy to try to go plant a church in New York City. You're not going to get anywhere. 
sophisticated city people don't believe that stuff and they have no need for it, they told him. But Redeemer Presbyterian Church thrived, not only uh, raised up 6,000 worshipers weekly in its own body, but through its network of church planting and training leaders and farming them out, absolutely changed the landscape, the Christian landscape of New York City. I would say change the city. And how did he do that? People called him aside and said, how did you do that? Keller was asked how he did it, and he said in part something like, well, I listened. He said he listened to the questions people had, and he respected them, and he took them seriously. And then, and only then, he offered something of Jesus. But only when he felt sure that the person before him felt heard and respected. Only when he was sure within himself that he could understand and even empathize with their position as, non, as non-Christians, as anti-faith, then he could offer Jesus. So you can't share Jesus until you're willing to act like Jesus. The greatest witness to the power of Christ is a life transformed by his intervention. So if Jesus was gentle, you and I, we have to learn to be gentle. The questions will get worked out. The details will come. But only after a life touched by Jesus has willingly and gently and vulnerably been put on display. Jesus was gentle. In fact, he stepped forward and he claimed this virtue as his own. I'll say again from Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus. Jesus, the the name above all names. The Lord. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This Jesus, Jesus through whom and for whom all things were created and in whom all things hold together. This Jesus, the mighty one, the victorious one, Jesus whose name is a mighty tower and a refuge for all who run to him. Jesus who strikes down evil with a word. Jesus who drives demons away, who defeats powers of darkness and conquers death itself. Jesus who speaks to wind and waves who know his name and are stilled. This Jesus in all his power is gentle, It's gentle, strength in the service of others. This is a beautiful fruit with appeal, with allure to draw you close. So I close, friends, with this thought, because we think I don't, I don't want to go into some conflict without, without my defenses up, you see? What if I suffer a little bit? What if, I, what if I suffer a bit with engagement with someone who's hostile toward Christian belief? What if I feel embarrassed or what if I feel put down? What if I suffer a little bit? Well, what if? What if? Pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton, Nicky Gumbel, he recounted a conversation he had with a man named Father Canta La Mesa. 
a Franciscan monk who serves the Pope personally in the papal household in Rome. And Nikki was talking to Cantalamessa when Cantalamessa was headed into a debate with the new atheists in Italy. And Gumbel asked him, Well, do you think you're prepared to win the debate? Do you think you can win today? And Father Cantalamessa smiled and, and said, He didn't know. Maybe he would lose. But, he said, the Lord can be glorified in defeat. The Lord can be glorified in defeat. We don't want to lose. I don't want to lose, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to just get, you know. But the greater loss would be to win the debate and lose the character of Jesus in the process. But do this, Peter says, do this. Do this with gentleness and respect. Do this, do it, engage with doubters, engage with confused family members, engage with angry friends, enemies of the cross of Christ, engage them to remove doubt that they could possibly step forward and enjoy confidently faith in Christ and a place in his kingdom. Do this, do the work, do the intellectual work, answer the questions, do this, but do this with gentleness and respect. What if I suffer a little bit in that? So what? So what? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Friends, we can afford a little gentleness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your grace surrounds us, that hope is before us, that life eternal in you is a guarantee sealed in us by your very presence granted by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to move toward others and neither give up on this, this opportunity to serve and to remove obstacles of faith nor to get overcome with pride and, and a need, Lord, to prove and to win. We pray, Lord, for opportunities for you to be glorified in victory and in defeat. We pray, Lord, that your grace would be made known, that your name would be made famous. For you have saved us, and you love us, and we love you with all that we are. And the church said together, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.